Welcome to the SPU Voices podcast, where we tell personal stories with universal impact. I'm your host, Amanda Stubbert, and today we sat down with Bob Ekblad. He took a break from his studies at SPU to travel. Though he would return to graduate, his call to share with and gain insight from other cultures would steer the rest of his journey. Bob and his wife, Gracie, are founders and co-directors of Tierra Nueva in Burlington, Washington, a New Earth Refuge, a home-based retreat center in the Skagit Valley. These organizations work with a team of staff and volunteers to serve immigrants from Latin America, inmates, the homeless, and people struggling with addictions. Bob is also known internationally for his courses and workshops on reading the Bible, emphasizing discipleship, holistic healing, and liberation. Bob, thank you so much for joining us today. Yeah, it's great to be with you. Let's start at the beginning. Can you tell us about how you began traveling in Central America? Uh, yes, I was. Um, I came into Seattle Pacific in, in 1976, and um, I spent my first two years studying European history, and had the plan to go on this one-year adventure after my sophomore year, and just travel and hitchhiking around Europe, taking trains and climbing in the Alps. And so I ended up going. Um, and when I was um, in Europe during that year, a lot of things changed. I ended up. Um, sort of experiencing a call to, uh, you know, to be really serious about my faith. I went to Israel, spent three months on a kibbutz learning Hebrew, and that's where I met this Jewish uh, man named Jaime, who, whose father had been one of Che Guevara's um, commandantes, and he was super aware of Latin American realities and U.S. intervention and the history of what the U.S. had done um, negatively in supporting dictatorships and he sort of opened my eyes. And um, then I came back to Europe and went to Libri Fellowship. And there, there was a, a Marxist labor organizer who'd become a Christian who was teaching on lib- Latin American liberation theology. And when he taught, I felt like my heart was like on fire. I just couldn't believe what he was saying. He was challenging everybody about how, you know, we Western Christians, our theology has been developed in our own context, far from the realities of the poor and the oppressed. Mm-hmm. And if we would read the Bible from the perspective of the poor and the oppressed, that we would see the Bible freshly and differently. And that really inspired me. And um, anyway, I ended up coming back to SBU, changing my major to Latin American studies, spent a year studying. And that's when I got really um, connected with my girlfriend, who became my wife and got Gracie. And then I spent um, that year preparing for another trip, which was going to be, a, a, you know, down to Latin America and uh, ended up two months into my trip when um, I was in Guatemala and there was a civil war happening. And I called um, my girlfriend, Gracie. Everything became clear to me that I wanted to marry her. I asked her to marry me. She was 21, um, you know, beginning, ending her sophomore year at SPU. And I was, I was 23. And uh, I said, marry me and let's do this together. And so um, I flew up, got married a week, a week after the wedding. We flew down and we traveled through Latin America. Both felt a call to work with the poor in, in Honduras. And, um, and then that's how it all began. We went back to SPU, finished our senior years of studies. And then um, a week after graduation, moved to Honduras, where we spent six years teaching sustainable farming, preventative health. And then got into leading Bible studies with mostly with people outside the church, you know, impoverished uh, farmers 
subsistence farmers. And I have to back up and ask, what was the reaction of of your families, yours and Gracie's, to here are children going to school, you know, fairly locally at SPU, and now they're going to spend their lives we don't know where, um, but but in fairly dangerous terrain. How did they react to that? I mean, my my parents were really upset that I was being so critical of the United States because uh, they were pretty strong, um, you know, Republican. Uh, people, Christians, I guess, who were supportive of the U.S. and didn't have an awareness of sort of the dark side of what we were about as a nation. And so that was challenging for them, but they were excited that we were going to be missionaries and they were, I think they did their best to really support us um, and Gracie's parents as well. So, um, you know, we went with their blessing. Nice. Nice. Did you know from the beginning that you would spend your life traveling and teaching? I mean, was, did you feel like this was what you were going to do sort of as a young person? Or did you, from the beginning, feel like this was the rest of your life? I think I felt um, when I was in Europe after my sophomore year at SPU, I felt a call actually to to France when I was there. and um, And so, and then... Yeah, I mean, I think the travel has been part of my life, you know, since since that time. And but I could have never imagined how my life would have turned out in all these, um, you know, these turns that it's gone. So it's a lot more exciting than I could have ever imagined. So you mentioned France, and I know the two of you speak Spanish and French. Tell me about when you were in France and and how you started sort of adopting some some more new views of the world. Well, we were in Central America during that those turbulent times of the 80s, which were our 20s. And it was uh, just very intense. There was a civil war. There were civil wars happening all around us. And we were reading theology that some friends were sending us. And a lot of these French writers like Jacques Ellul and then a, a Swiss uh, Old Testament guy named Wilhelm Vischer and others we were, we were learning, we were reading and studying on our own. And um, we found out that... Um, that some of these people were, were were part of this graduate school, a Huguenot seminary called the Institut Protestant de Theologie in Montpellier. And so I contacted them. And we were feeling a call to, you know, to go deeper in, in theology and study and to be, you know, to prepare ourselves because we were doing all this pastoral work on the ground with people and getting into people's, you know, the hard realities of people's lives and, and just big questions about scripture and theology. So, um, I wrote this seminary and they wrote us back and said, you're welcome to come. You need to learn French. Um, we'll give you a, you know, full scholarship for your first year. Um, welcome. So we moved there straight from Central America and 1988, um, I think, and, and did all of our studies there. And it was very, um, you know, very inspiring. You know, we had professors that were, um, you know, uh, there was a diversity of theology, theological perspective. I think that was refreshing for us. There wasn't like one party line. There was uh, people differed and opposed each other. And we had serious Bible scholar teachers who were also contemplative, you know, like deeply spiritual. And, and I think uh, in psycho, psychoanalytic approaches to reading the Bible and all of it um, through all that, I think we got a lot of healing even about our own family of origin issues and 
both of us felt called to move back to the United States and to become pastors while we were in France. So we moved back um, in, you know, 1991 and, or 1992. And then um, thought we were going to, I was working on a PhD in Old Testament and, and began um, looking for teaching positions. But there was this strong call still in us to work with marginalized people. And we were aware of a community here on one hour north of Seattle. I'd always kind of passed through the Skagit Valley to go climbing in the, in the North Cascades and saw that there was a huge farm worker population. And so I, I became, we became really interested in that community and began visiting and, and then felt a call to, to launch Tierra Nueva, a North American version of it among farm workers in uh, Skagit County. So I want to know all about that, um, the ministry that is going strong to this day, but I'm interested, you've, you've mentioned liberation theology, and I don't know that everyone knows what that means. Can you unpack that a little bit for us? Yeah, I mean, liberation theology really came out of Latin America. It was after Vatican II when uh, people began, um, there was a movement in the Catholic Church to go back to scripture and to really train um, you know, like ordinary, like lay people as pastoral workers, there was a crisis and there weren't enough priests. And so they were, there were, there was a whole movement to empower lay people. And some of that happened, um, also as a result of, of just Catholic priests and women religious, and also some mainline Protestant pastors, um, really experiencing, um, like a call to work with some of the most oppressed and marginalized, like excluded populations. And when they paid attention to what those people were saying in their life, living conditions, they began to see that there was, there were structures in place that were oppressive, that, that were holding people down. And so there was a whole theology of resistance to the powers of the state. And um, that were, uh, that was rooted in a solidarity with marginalized poor people. Mm-hmm. And that's where liberation theology sort of was birthed and people began writing and, um, and it became famous. It kind of became known in the, in North America as a violent, as justifying violent revolution. And there were parts of movement that, that movement that were more supportive of, of just uh, guerrilla movements, but there were also very, um, there were a lot of nonviolent, uh, you know, people that were committed to nonviolence who were, who were just tenderhearted, uh, pastoral workers that that were um, I think that really embodied the best of that movement which was mm-hmm. coming alongside people that felt excluded from society and the church and showing them the love of of Christ through word and deed both so this is a, a huge oversimplification but what I hear you saying what I what I the basis uh, foundation of what I hear you saying is the come to Jesus as you are you don't have to fix everything on the outside before you're available to Jesus in the church. Am I, am I saying that correctly? Well, I would say that that would be what um, I would, I would have heard more from sort of the reformation, like, you know, Lutheran theology of grace that like God loves us while we were sinners. I wouldn't say that was the core of the liberation theology uh, kind of uh, the heart of their theology, their theology refer- really focused on God's preferential option for the poor and mm-hmm. the oppressed and, and how, uh, you know, we need to 
be born sort of from below through our engagement with, you know, with the poor and, and especially trained, you know, readers of scripture, theologians, we need to humble ourselves and let ourselves be sort of affected and uh, brought into the struggle of the poor for their liberation. But, mm -hmm. um, but I think with us, we were really combining um, just a high view of God's grace and, um, and the love of God expressed to Jesus, uh, who most fully reveals the Father. We were combining that with, you know, with a, with a theology of, uh, you know, of suffering and, and, of, and of also resistance to, you know, to the oppression, oppression that people experience. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Well, tell me about your church now. So we came up here and I, um, our plan was to just do chaplaincy ministry to immigrant workers in the fields, which we did. Um, but then I got asked to be a chaplain to the uh, Mexican population in our jail, Spanish speaking, um, like farm workers, people that had, were caught up in different crimes. And there were about 20% of our community that were, that were, uh, that are immigrant workers. And that was reflected in the jail and, there, and the ch chaplain there didn't no Spanish. So I began to offer Spanish Bible studies, working as the chaplain to the Spanish speakers in the jail. That was a life transforming experience, just learning about the suffering of, of these people. You know, often they were children of immigrants who ended up getting caught up in gangs and drugs and troubles of different kinds. And I, um, after, I think the first three or four months of being chaplain, the main chaplain retired and I was asked to be chaplain to the whole jail. So that meant I was leading Bible. I was in charge of Bible studies and pastoral care for anyone that was in there. And we have a lot of tribal communities here, the Swinomish, the Upper Skagit um, and others. And, and so we were, I, I began to become, I guess, aware of just the, the breadth of, of, you know, all the different communities, white, Latino, Native American, very small a black community. And um, that was um, something that just broke my heart, really, just hearing the stories of people. And uh, I grew up on Mercer Island, as did my wife. And so we were pretty far removed from the realities of the of the poor in the United States. And um, in living in Central America, that was a completely different reality to uh, life up here. And I think, um, so our work was all about leading Bible studies and caring for people pastorally who were caught up in addiction, incarceration, and, you know, who were affected by immigration, like immigrant workers. And that's what we've been doing the last 28 years. Wow. That is a long time to work with populations that are sort of, I would imagine, constantly changing. And, you know, anytime you work with people, the work is messy but you can also work with communities that are not quite as messy on a day-to-day -day basis. Um, how do you and, and, and Gracie and, and the rest of the team, how do you do the work that's never the same? We need to be open and flexible and ready to, I guess, to respond. It's really hard to, you know, to have a, a super structured approach because we're working with people whose lives are in turmoil. And so, of course, we have to have boundaries around, um, you know, for ourselves. Otherwise, we'd be caught up in the turmoil. And and um, so we have, um, you know, we have Bible studies that like on Wednesday afternoons and 
Sundays and we have outreach on the streets and we have things that, um, you know, normally it would be Thursday and Sundays in the jails. We've been blocked from that since COVID started, but we do visitation through the visitor booths. So I guess, you know, we have their structures in place, but around um, the rest of our time is we're trying to be more flexible. You know, we spend a lot of time just preparing ourselves spiritually through reading the Bible, through studying, preparing our messages and our Bible studies and podcasts, whatever we're doing. And then, um, and then we do a lot of just outreach and going out to visit people, you know, uh, prayer appointments with people. And yeah, it's, um, it often feels haphazard and just kind of um, random. You know, we, we see people coming and then they stop showing up and their phone numbers don't work anymore. And then we find out they're in jail or, you know, or they've, they're just back dealing drugs or, you know, and then we are just, uh, we are just there. And a lot of these people resurface. And so we're finding that now we have many, many people coming who are um, through with that life, but now they're in their, in their, you know, late thirties or forties. And, uh, and they're just, uh, they're coming out of prison and our church is full of people, you know, like that, who are, um, you know, have done a lot of time in prison, who've been through a lot of suffering. Um, their kids have been taken by CPS and some of them have been, um, you know, permanently adopted out to others and, and they carry um, just a lot of pain. So we, you know, we feel that pain and um, administer, you know, to, to people who are, you know, who are really wanting to rebuild their lives and trying to do that. Wow. Um, so in that preparation that you're talking about, not only do you serve this population well on a day-to-day basis, but you continue to travel the world teaching ways to to really do this work. Can you tell us about the three modules that, that you and Gracie teach around the world? Yes, we developed, um, I've taught um, in different graduate programs for the last, I don't know, like long time since, you know, the 1990s. And I've developed a lot of courses and, and then I've taken those courses, some of those courses, and I've turned it into a program called the Certificate in Transformational Ministry at the Margins. And that's three, four day trainings that we do over a year to 18 months. And um, they're four sort of frontline ministry workers in different settings. So we've done maybe 40 of these. Um, where we go, um, we've done them, you know, all over Africa, in Russia, like in Siberia, in South Korea, in France, Sweden, numerous ones in um, England and in Scotland, and you know, New Zealand. Um, I'm going today to Zambia, and uh, we're going to offer one there, and then I'm going to Cape Town, offering module one there, and then the Isle of Mauritius, where I'm doing module three in French, the modules are the first one is, um, it's on whole, it's on really God's mission, you know, holistic mission, uh, like of scriptural foundations for that. So there's like 15 sessions, uh, you know, like hour and a half sessions that we do over four days. And that's what I'm going to do now. And the second one is on holistic liberation, you know, the interface between inner healing, deliverance, physical healing, and um, psychotherapeutic approaches and trauma-informed, you know, kind of pastoral care. 
And so we offered that. That's module two. Module three is called The Word on the Street. It's on how to prepare and lead uh, dialogical Bible studies and also drawing from scripture to address social justice issues and, you know, problems in our world and the community. So um, that's a program that, um, you know, that we're trying to train trainers, people that have graduated. You know, we have several thousand people that have graduated now from that training or that CTMM, we call it. And we're, uh, so we're training trainers like there's a Swedish guy and a woman from South Africa and a man from Zimbabwe who are meeting me in Endola in Zambia. And we're going to be a team training uh, 200 pastors uh, beginning Wednesday. And then we go and we do the same thing in, in uh, Cape Town. So that's our goal now is training trainers to be able to offer this all over the world. And then we have a second program, which is called a, a certificate in reading the Bible for liberation that we've, uh, that involves going through my five books, guerrilla gospel, uh, reading the Bible for liberation and the power of the spirit. And then guerrilla Bible studies, four volumes of, um, dial of discipleship Bible studies. So we're launched, we've launched that in the prison system where inmates can, go through, uh, they have to go through 52 Bible studies um, personally, and then lead another person, at least one other person in, in that same study. So we've launched that just this last month with like 15 inmates, but we expect that to grow. And so those are our two programs that are, are we're focusing a lot of our attention on to get them going. Do you find it's in some ways easier to work with non-Western American audiences and people groups? Um, well, I think when people are in, really in touch with their own need and that their lives aren't working, they're definitely more receptive. And um, that can be anywhere though. Like uh, our community here, people are very open, very receptive people in our jails, are super hungry, open, homeless as well. Um, mainstream, you know, like white churches, I don't know. I don't have much experience with those communities anymore. Mm -hmm. You know, we, we get most of our invitations are from outside of the United States or just, you know, with more marginalized communities here. But um, that maybe that'll change. <laughs> I think there's yeah. a huge need in mainstream America, you know, for um, spiritual renewal. And I, I just uh, long to see that happen. Yeah. I don't think you're going to get any arguments on that, on that point. Um, so you have this thriving, challenging, wonderful, messy community here. You're traveling the world, teaching teachers. Do you have a, another dream? Do you have a next step? Or are we, are we waiting on God for whatever comes next? I mean, I'd say that, you know, what we're trying to do is recruit and empower and uh, train up, you know, workers who are about the kingdom of God, who are free from the, the clutter of, of sort of their um, you know, other identities. You know, I mean, one of the greatest threats to the movement of the, of the Holy Spirit and the kingdom of God in the world right now is Christian nationalism. And um, that's a threat that I see um, just creating a huge amount of turmoil and destruction. And one of our callings is to invite people to really be deeper followers and more faithful, loyal followers who pledge their allegiance to Jesus and are about his kingdom 
and and so however we can do that you know through teaching through um you know all the ways that that, that needs to be done through training people i mean that's spu's mission as well is to train up people and we need a movement that's that's pure and clean um because people are hungry for that and free of partisan divisions and you know uh racism and you know just uh discriminatory mindsets you know we need uh, there's people that are hungry out there and so jesus says the, the you know the harvest is plentiful and the workers are few so beg the lord of the harvest to cast out workers into the harvest and we see that as our dream is to just be about um you know sort of uh, helping in any way we can um being in, a, in alignment with the holy spirit to 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 cast out workers into the into the harvest you know so we're i feel like we're just you know we're poised we're, we're wanting the, the next uh this next season of our life to be you know about that um you know to the max however we can mm-hmm. yeah and then training people that you know that can that can multiply you know multiplication of of, of workers who are about you know what we call it is word spirit street you know that the need to bring these worlds together of careful reading of the bible and contemplative thoughtful spiritual reading that it takes the scriptures seriously but with jesus as the as our rabbi you know jesus reveals the father and he's the christ and and so we read the old testament with him as our rabbi so you know word um uh, spirit you know the gifts of the holy spirit we need to be empowered by the holy spirit we need the fullness of of what uh the you know the apostles had after pentecost and and so the division between careful reading of the bible and the charismatic dimension those that shouldn't exist we need those to be informing one another and and then street justice you know social justice um uh, as we are in solidarity with impoverished excluded oppressed people that will help us see what the real social justice issues are that need to be addressed um and if we're rightly informed by scripture we're going to know how to address those issues in a jesus-like way and so our dream is to is to help um stir up and support a movement that brings together word spirit street um sanctuary for that matter and the contemplative dimension there needs to be the body of christ needs to be a whole body that embraces all the parts so if any of our listeners are um inspired to help directly in the work that you do how do they how do they get a hold of you and your ministry you can go to our website www.tierra-nueva.org so tierra-nueva.org or um, peopleseminary.org you can also tune into my podcast which is called disciple word spirit justice witness on spotify or uh, apple and um and you can come up and visit us um we meet on sundays at 4 30 in burlington washington at our where we have our faith community and so yeah reach out and contact us and find out about um, the trainings that are available on the people seminary we have a lot of uh, self-paced trainings we're going to start another um online certificate in transformational ministry at the margins in the fall you know we do that um, it's a weekly zoom meeting 
Um, we, we have one going now with 35 people from lots of different countries and it's every Tuesday. So that's something that you could sign up for if you'd like. And you could find any of my books on um, Amazon. So uh, yeah, let's uh, feel free to reach out. Wonderful. All right. Well, Bob, this has been so inspirational for me and I'm sure for so many of our our listeners as well. Let's go to our, our famous last question that we like to ask all of our guests. If you could have everyone in Seattle wake up tomorrow and do one thing differently that's going to make the world a better place, what would you have us all do? Come into a deeper awareness of your true identity as a, a daughter or son of the Father of Jesus and knowing that you're beloved um, just the way you are and take a deep breath and receive that love and then um, step into your new identity through following Jesus. Fantastic. Well, Bob, thank you so much. Um, the world is definitely already a better place because of people like you and Gracie willing to serve, like you said, those on the margins, those that um, are not being seen heard or loved by those around them. We thank you so much for the work that you do. And I hope that um, after your trip to Africa, you'll come back and see us again. All right. Well, God bless you all. Thanks.